Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 11 today. Acts chapter 11. Missions is so critically important to the life of the church. And if you're new to Calvary, I want you to know just how important it is to the life of this church. Pastor Bill kind of alluded to this, but back in the 1980s, there was a time in the, in the late 80s when financially this church, Calvary, was in a devastated place. A place where a lot of people wondered if the doors would even stay open because of some financial decisions and things that had happened. And in the midst of that, our leadership made a decision. The leadership of the church said, we will not decrease what we give to see people find out all around the world about the gospel. We're actually gonna increase that because we believe that this is what is so close to the heart of God. And when you care about what God cares about, then God cares about you in a way that's even different. Have you noticed that to be true? And so we entrust ourselves to this task of the Great Commission, of seeing the good news go to every person in the world. We believe this is so critical and we talk about it on a day like today because we invite you to be a part of this. Missions is critically important and it's important for us because we want to be a place of influence. God calls his church to be a place of influence, a place that impacts, a place that changes, a place that that sees eternal things happen And God calls his church to be a church, a place of influence. So today we're going to look at a a church in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at the church that was in a city called Antioch. And we'll see the influence that that church had. And, And Luke writes the history of the early church for us. And what happens in Antioch is incredibly significant. It's a very unique place. And God does something there for the very first time in launching people out into this idea of missions. And we're gonna take a look at this church of influence that was in the city of Antioch in the first century. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Bill and I had the opportunity to travel to the nation of Cuba. And one of the things that, that we did while we were there was we had the opportunity to do seminars, some, some training for the pastors in two different regions of that nation. And the topic that we were to speak on was this thing, the importance of missions. And so I had been thinking about prior to the trip what I would speak about and what I would teach about and had several different times when I'd have the opportunity to speak. And, and I thought Acts chapter 13, one of the passages we'll look at today, was something that I wanted to speak about. But in kind of the crush of getting ready to go and to travel, I didn't have a whole lot of time really to prepare so I had been thinking about it. I'm on the flight from, from Detroit to Miami on our way to Cuba, and that was the first chance that I'd really had time to just sit down and kind of really focus on my thoughts regarding the things that I was going to speak to these pastors about. And uh, so we're flying, and, and while we were up in the air, I kind of just had these thoughts that just kind of came, and it was like, man, this is, this is good. I think I know what I want to speak about, what I want to share, kind of pieced all of that together. It felt, felt really good. Do you know those times when you, you do something and you're not sure it's going to work, and then you think, you know what, I think this is satisfactory. I don't think I'm going to get an F on this from the teacher. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of that moment. It's like, okay, cool. And I remember I closed my iPad, and I thought, okay, I think, I think this will work. And I felt like this, this kind of little prompting of the Holy Spirit that was, hey, this isn't just for pastors in Cuba. This is a message for Calvary because this is a church of influence. 
And so how can we become, like this church in the first century in Antioch, how can we become a church of influence? So today I wanna share with you seven traits of a church of influence. Seven traits of a church of influence. We're gonna, we're gonna move quick. We're gonna look at the model from this church in the first century in the city of Antioch. We're gonna see what they did that was so significant, why that applies to us. So let's jump right in. Let's begin with verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We read this. And, and listen to the details here, because the details are really important. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Some interesting things that we see here about this church. Here's the first trait of a church of influence. Number one, the church of influence shares the gospel. Number one, the church of influence shares the gospel. Now that may for some of you seem to kind of be a no-brainer, but this is critically important to see that what God has entrusted to us in the good news in the gospel, as a church of influence, we make it a priority to share that. And did you see how it got shared? Did you see how they got there in the first place? It says that when the persecution got cranked up on the Christians after Stephen's martyrdom, as the Christians were fleeing for their lives, some of them landed in Antioch. Now look, if I was running for my life, I'm not so sure that when I got to a new city, I'd do the same thing that got me in trouble in the first place. What did they do when they got there? They shared their faith. They couldn't help but talk about what Jesus had done for them. Even in the midst of persecution, they realized that they needed to look for opportunities to share. And I wanna encourage you in your faith, as a church of influence, look for opportunities to share your faith. Look for those chances when you can talk about what Christ has done in your life. Look for those moments when you have a chance to influence someone else with the good news of the gospel. Even in the midst of the good times, even in the midst of the tough times, even if you're experiencing persecution, that could be the very thing that God is using to put you in a place where you can speak for him. Look for those opportunities. Now, if, if you're new to church, or maybe this is something that's unique to you, whether you're, you're here in this service or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, you may wonder, why are we so passionate about this thing? Why are we so passionate about people knowing about Jesus and about the gospel? And the reality is, we know what he has done for us, and so we want to share that with others. We know his forgiveness, we know his grace, we know the peace that can come, we know the hope that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we know the restoration that he can bring to our lives, not just hope for today, but hope for all of eternity, and because of that, we wanna share. Isn't share a beautiful word? It means that I have something of value, and I want you to have it too. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is the more you share it, you don't lose any of it, do you? It's all yours, what God has given to you. So what are your opportunities? If we're gonna look for opportunities, where do you see them? For some of you, it may be in a missions trip of some kind. We try several times a year to take trips uh, along the lines of what you just saw in that video. In fact, we're in the process now of planning some things in Europe in 2017 and what God would have in store for us. Maybe God's stirring something in your heart to be involved in some kind of trip. But it might not take you getting on an airplane, it might just take you starting a conversation with your neighbor or a coworker or a family member. I believe God gives us those opportunities. 
And when you look for those opportunities, I wanna challenge you to share outside the box. Share outside the box, not just in the world that you're comfortable with. What'd they do in Antioch? Well, when they got there, they started to share the gospel with other Jews, right? You saw that, they began to tell other Jews. And then, and then some of these people, they were rebels. They started to talk to some of the Greeks too. This was a big deal culturally for them to cross those ethnic lines, but they realized that God loved not just the Jews, but that he loved all people, and so they started to share kind of outside the box. There are some people in your world who might not be the ones that you might naturally think God is calling you to share with, but are you willing to stretch your boundaries? Are you willing to do something new? Are you willing to be bold and to speak about your faith? to talk to them about what Christ has done for you. Are you willing to kind of think outside the box a little bit? It's one of the things that we've had to do as a church over the course of the last few years. When when God spoke to our hearts about moving from kind of a, a pretty traditional church building to a movie theater, that was just a little outside of our box. But as we have, God has continued to bring blessing. And if you're new to Calvary, uh, we've, we've just seen some really unique growth in the last five years or so to the point that oftentimes on this service, this 10 o'clock service, it can be a little tricky to find a seat. Isn't that true? Sorry, overflow. It can be a little tricky to find a seat sometimes. So one of the things that we know we've got to do is we've got to continue to look for opportunities. So we're looking at that within our building, what kind of things we might be able to do that are unique. We're looking for that in particular in our children's ministry because we're, we're quickly kind of running out of room and classrooms in those places. So we feel like God is challenging us to think about how can we expand our reach in the community and in this building and different things as a church. So one of the things that we're going to do, it's kind of, a, kind of an experiment of sorts, is we're going to add in August an addition service. It'll be just like our 8.30, 10, or 11.30 service, except we're going to do it on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. So Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. And some of you, I watched you already, you went sleeping in. <laughs> you, you already thought this through a little bit. Why, why, are, why are we doing this? Well, because we want to give more opportunities for growth, for expansion. For some people, that's a great time for them because of maybe family issues or maybe you're out of town or just kind of your routine as a family that gives that opportunity. I'm reminded all the time that there's a lot of people who work on Sunday mornings. I was with some friends in a restaurant not too long ago and one of them invited the server to come to church. And she said, I can't go to church, I work on Sunday mornings. I can't wait to go back in there and go, hey, you can come to church on Sunday night. I know a church handsome pastor, you should check it out. <laughs> right, you just, it's an opportunity. Now some of you are like, Sunday night's five o'clock, that doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. That's okay, because maybe it's not for you. But if we can think outside the box a little bit and reach more people, I think God would love for us to have that kind of influence. Don't you agree? So we're gonna try it. We'll see how God uses it. What's interesting about the church in Antioch is that when they shared their faith, God did extraordinary things. And it says that they saw great results. I think one of the reasons that you and I maybe are not as um, consistent as we could be in sharing our faith is because maybe deep down inside, we don't necessarily believe that it would really make a difference. I wanna challenge you as a church of influence to believe for great results to believe for great results. Whether it's what happens in the church or what happens in your life, when you share your faith with someone, when you talk about your relationship with Christ, believe that God is gonna use that to speak to their heart. It might not happen in the moment, it might be years later, but God is stirring something. I've loved it the last few weeks, I've had people come up to me in the Connection Center and introduce me to other people. So this is my friend, I invited them to church, I want you to hear about what God is doing in their life as a result. 
believe that God will influence and change people's lives, that's what happens in a church of influence. So a church of influence shares the gospel. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Number two, the church of influence has community impact. Number two, the church of influence has community impact. We won't read this whole passage, but verses 23 through 26 of Acts 11 go on to tell us more of the story. And what it says at the end of verse 26 is interesting. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That term that we use so often to talk about those who share our faith, the the term Christians, it was coined in this city of Antioch. For some reason, what was going on there caused the people in the community to say, what do we call these people? You know, up to that point, they they were referred to as disciples or believers or followers or sometimes they were even known by this name, The Way, was kind of the name of, of their group at one point. But in Antioch, they said, and it probably wasn't a very positive thing, just to be honest, they were said, well, look, they're not like the other Jews, and they're not Greeks like us. They worship this, this Christ person. Let's just call them Christians. But there was something so unique about them. There was something so special about them. They were having such a community impact that the people had to figure out what would we call them. Here's why this is so critical. What God does in the church should be evident out in the community. What God does in the church should be evident out in the community. If we have tremendous services and people feel blessed and encouraged and God helps us and we have good friends and and we like coming to church and sometimes we even have a tent with food in it, amen, right? (laughs) If all of that's cool, but if all of that stays right here, if it never goes out into the community, what difference does it really make? Do you know what they call water that just stands still? Nasty, yeah. (laughs) Nasty is the technical term, you might not know it. It attracts pests, it's not refreshing. The church is to be a place that moves and flows, that goes out and impacts the world around. When When you go out into the tent today, That whole center section is all about the ministries that we partner with in Toledo, things that are happening here in our community. In July, we'll do our serve week again as as part of our loving the 419. Encourage you to be a part of that. That's critically important. What was so unique is there was something about the people in that church that caused those in the community to say, we've gotta give them a name. There's something different about them. Here's why. What you believe should affect who people say you are. What you believe should affect who people say you are. Because if you believe something, then you'll act in a certain way. And if you act in a certain way, then people will see it. And if people will see it, they'll have to have some way to describe it. So what you believe should affect who people say you are. Have any of you ever had a nickname? I I never never really had much of a nickname. My dad, had this unique role uh, when I was a kid. He was, I grew up in this little town in Northeast Ohio, Southington, Ohio, tiny little town, and he was the township clerk. He was an elected official, thank you very much. Robert E. Gilligan, township clerk. Didn't mean a whole lot. He, uh, he kept the financial records for our little community, and the highlight of the whole thing was he got to be the caretaker of the cemeteries, which was a really special thing. 
And uh, so whenever anybody would pass away that was gonna be buried in one of the, the several cemeteries there in Southington, the funeral homes would call our house and say, hey Bob, um, so-and-so passed away, we need to know where to, to bury him. And so I would often go with my dad, we would drive out to the cemetery and we would have to mark out the place where the person would, my dad used to call them underground condominiums is what he called them, and uh, <laughs> mark out the place where people would you know, spend some time. And uh, <laughs> then after we marked him out, he would call up the two guys who worked for the township who would then go out the next day and they would, they would dig up the grave site for burial. Their names were Ziggy and Dynamite. You can't make this stuff up. And I never thought anything about it from the time I was a little kid. Dad would be like, well, I gotta call Ziggy and Dynamite. I guess you do, that's interesting. And I remember one day, we were driving um, out, out to one of the cemeteries, I was with him, and all of a sudden it struck me, it's like, those aren't names. What's wrong with someone naming their children Ziggy and Dynamite? And so I said to my dad, I said, Dad, why are they called Ziggy and Dynamite? He said, well, um, Ziggy, his last name's Ziggler, and so we've just always called him Ziggy. I was like, oh, all right, his nickname, that makes sense. I says, well, Dad, I, I know Dynamite, I think his, his real last name is Miller. Um, why do you call him Dynamite? And he says, well, I'm not entirely sure. I just know that sometime a long time ago, he blew something up and it just kind of stuck. And uh, so everybody just calls him Dynamite. It's his nickname. Wouldn't it be cool if spiritually your name was Dynamite? That there was something about you that just brought power to the gospel? That when people interacted with you, they, they just had to find a way to Communicate the difference you make in their lives. See, that's what, that's what being a person of influence is all about. Third thing, let, let's go back to the text. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 11. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Here's a third thing that we see. Number three, the church of influence is generous. The church of influence is generous. And I wanna thank you, Calvary, um, because you are, you are a generous church. Because of your giving, and in particular your giving to missions, we have been able to partner with missionaries and ministries and see extraordinary things happen all around the world. And it's exciting to, to see those things, to hear those things. To, uh, Pastor Bill and I have had the opportunity in many places to actually be on the ground and see the difference from a, from a drug rehab facility in Uruguay to a church that's being built in Albania to the work that's happening in Southeast Asia as people are being trained to go back into their communities and share the gospel. You have had a part in that because you have been generous. How does that work at Calvary? Well, you may have seen it if, if you've given online or if you give on an offering envelope, there's that spot for missions. And we encourage people to, to ask the Lord over and above your tithe, what would he have you to do to give to see the gospel go forward? Here's the reason why. God may use your resource to bless his kingdom. It's just a biblical principle. God may choose to use your resource to bless his kingdom. That's how it works. That when he entrusts resources to us, it's not just for us, but for us to say, how would God want this to be used to bless and benefit his kingdom? Here's the beauty of it. Again, so many times we think if I give something away, it means that's less that I have. But here's what I've found, that when God entrusts you with something 
and he calls you to do something with that, when you do, he usually finds a way for you not to have less, but actually in some way to end up having more. Does that make sense? He blesses those who are willing to bless others. Now we don't give to manipulate him, but we do give to honor him, to be obedient to him, and somehow he's able to do this in this powerful way. So many times I ask the wrong question. When I get something, whether it's my time, whether it's my talents, especially if it's my money, my, I'm prone, my question is typically this, what am I going to do with this? When many times what I may need to ask is, God, what do you want to do with this? Came from him anyways, right? It's ultimately all his. God, what do you want me to do with this? Now, I believe this. I believe that God wants to bless you as you honor him. Not in that kind of prosperity sense that says that God owes us anything, but I do believe that God loves to prosper his people. Does that make sense? And with that, when you entrust what you have to him, he's able to take those things and use them and bless others. And this is why when we talk about missions giving at Calvary, this is an important thing because God uses what he's entrusted to us Look, if you've ever traveled outside the United States, you know that, that even in our challenges and struggles, we're very blessed, amen? And that God can take those things, and through us, he can use those things to bless his kingdom. Why? Because compassion is a family trait. <laughs> compassion is a family trait. I love sometimes just sitting back and, and watching when my kids display my, my good traits. Doesn't happen that often. Most of their good traits come from their mother. But every so often I see something and I'm like, they got that from me. That's a family trait right here. That's a good thing. And if you're a part of the family of God, one of the things that you should kind of pick up in your family traits is compassion and generosity. And when you see a need, when you see that you can make a difference, especially for another brother or sister in Christ, but you're willing to do it. Why? Because the church of influence is generous. Let's go on to the next thing. For this, we've got to go to Acts chapter 13. This is where the whole story changes. Here's where, where God asks the people in Antioch to do something that had not been done before. Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse one. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and so he lists these people right away and says, look, they were prophets and teachers. And all throughout the New Testament, as you read, there's kind of this pattern of seeing that God has given to people certain gifts and the desire for them to use them. You have prophets and teachers, apostles, deacons, those that give, those that serve. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, what you see is that all of us have been entrusted with some kind of gift to be used by God for his kingdom. So number four, the church of influence uses their gifts. The church of influence uses their gifts. They realize that God has entrusted each one of us with something to do for him. Some of us may be the gift of teaching. For others, it may be that of administration. Others of us may be a little bit more behind the scenes and it's how we can serve. But for all of us, there is some way in which God has equipped us both spiritually and then even in our talents and our skills. And those gifts are given to us for a purpose. God has given us gifts to be used for his divine purpose, to be used to accomplish his will, to do what he's created us to do, and to play the part that only we can play in his church and in his kingdom. So I encourage you to, to discover what those gifts are that you have. 
For some of you, you may, you may already know the ways in which you've been spiritually gifted. If not, there's things that you can do. You, you can even search online and just find a spiritual gifts test and something that you can click through that will help you to see that. If, if you go through our vision and values course here at Calvary, we talk about this, and one of the things that we do is we, we offer you a spiritual gifts test so you can see how you're gifted so that you can kind of find the place where you'll be effective in God's kingdom. Oftentimes that comes because somebody who knows you might say to you, you know, you're, you're a really good teacher, or you really do well with kids. I mean, you, you've got great organizational ability that can help you to go, I wonder if God can use that gift somehow in his kingdom. And oftentimes, we know what our giftings are, we kind of feel them. Where we hit this roadblock is that we're afraid to do anything with them. And I would encourage you not just to try to discover your gifts, but then explore in them. If you think that's your gift, try it. If you flop, that's okay. You've just reduced some of the list of the things you're not good at. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you kind of figure that out as you go. Sometimes we're afraid to fail, but the best things happen when we just say, God, I'm going to try this. If it works, great. If not, that's cool. And oftentimes, that's how God leads us. I remember when I was in college, I remember I'm going to Bible college to be a pastor. Um, I had a friend of mine who was a youth pastor in the town, and he came to me and said, hey, look, I need somebody to teach a junior high Sunday school class. Do you think you could come teach this junior high Sunday school class? And I'm like, well, man, I'm going to Bible college. I think I'm probably not that bad of a teacher. Yeah, I'll check this out. I learned two things by, by serving in that junior high Sunday school class for about a year. The first thing I learned was that I really did enjoy teaching. I loved it. I really did enjoy teaching. The second thing I learned was that I really did not enjoy junior high students. Hated it. <laughs> hated it. They hated me. I did not like them. That was just the way it worked. <laughs> See, up to that point, I had thought that God was calling me to be a youth pastor. But I went through that experience and realized I wasn't gifted there, and I understood then that the only reason God might call me to be a youth pastor was because he hated me. That was it. <laughs> I just wasn't gifted in that way. Never would have known that if I hadn't explored it. Does that make sense? Look, don't just sit on your gifts. Use them for God's purposes. Which leads me to this. If you've been paying attention, you notice in the last few moments, I've asked you to give to the church your money and your time two of your most valuable things. That you take those things and that God is some way for his kingdom asking you to invest your money and your time. And I don't know if you noticed, but as soon as I kind of brought that to your attention, all of you went deer in the headlights on me real quick. <laughs> Got a good friend named Stan Tharp. He, he pastors a church of influence down in the Dayton area. In fact, there's some folks from his church visiting today. He said something not too long ago that just struck with me. He said this, when you get to heaven, talking about the people in his church, when you get to heaven, you're gonna look me up and high five me. And you're gonna thank me for the time I took from your schedule and the money I took out of your wallet. Because that's what's gonna get rewarded. Nothing else matters. Isn't that true? I don't, I don't say it for me, I don't say it for Calvary, I say it for you. In fact, the Bible says these are traits of people, of influence. Which takes us to the next thing. Let's look at verse two of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now we won't take a lot of time here, but I want you to see number five, the fifth thing, the church of influence seeks God. The church of influence seeks God. It talks here about worship, it talks about fasting, it talks about prayer. It actually talks about the fact that they had to listen 
to the Holy Spirit to hear what the Spirit was saying. And so many times we say, God, I wanna be used of you. God, I wanna make a difference for you. God, I wanna have an impact with my life. You cannot have genuine influence without divine involvement. You'll never do it on your own. At some point, you're gonna need to be in a place where you can listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say, where you surrender yourself to him and he leads you. Now next week, we're actually gonna talk about this more. Next week, we're gonna talk about the subject of worship and how we can put ourselves in a place where, where we can be used of God, where we can know him better. But understand this, you can't hear the Holy Spirit unless you allow yourself to be in a place to listen. You can't hear the Holy Spirit unless you allow yourself to be in a place where you can listen. Two, two three weeks ago, I had a friend call me up, left a message, said, hey man, when you get a chance, give me a call, I, I got a really cool story to tell you. Well, I was, I was out of town at the time and I, I literally, I just kind of made a note of it and set it aside and I forgot about it and then, and then every time I'd go to remember, right? You ever the times you remember and it's like midnight and you're like, he doesn't want to hear from me now. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then when I did finally call him back, he was out of town. In fact, he's out of the country, so it was a couple days later before he finally got back to me, and then I saw him, and I was like, hey, can we just plan that we're going to talk at this time? He's like, yeah, that'll be cool, because we were both coming and going, and so set it up, so I gave him a call. We had to plan that out, and when I did, then he tells me this story, and I was like, dude, that's super cool. It was the coolest thing. I was so glad, but I never would have heard from him. I never would have heard the story of what God was doing in his life if we hadn't said we've got to make a time to talk. And so many of us race through life and we never listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And you know what it takes sometimes? Stopping, listening, seeking God's heart. Because you're not gonna have genuine influence unless you open yourself up to some divine involvement. The Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart Barnabas and Saul, and if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that Saul later goes on to have his name changed to Paul, who writes so much of our New Testament, we read about him all through the book of Acts. Set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work for which I have called them. Do you hear what God says here? Look, boys, this is my gig. <laughs> I've called you to this. What you're about to do, it's really important to me. In fact, I want you to hear this. God says, I'm sending you out to pursue my Heart. Here's the sixth thing that we see about a church of influence. The church of influence hears the heart of God. And what's God's heart? God's heart is, is the nations. I want, I want to do something real quick. If you're a note taker, if that's, if that's just kind of you, if you're a voracious note taker and you're afraid you're going to miss something, shake your hands out for a minute because we're about to run, okay? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures because I don't want you to think that this whole missions thing is just something that we just do every so often so we can have a food with tent in it. That's just a blood, a food with tent in it. Did I just say that? <laughs> the worst part is I don't think any of you heard it because you were like, I just want to go home. But that's a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different thing. Somebody just beat a level on a game up there. I don't know what's going on. Look. Missions matters. Let me give you a theology for missions. What's scripture say about missions? Let's start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. From the very beginning, when God spoke to Abraham, he said, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Who will be blessed? All nations, from the very beginning. Psalm 67, four. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Understand this too, when God speaks about nations, he's not just talking about countries. 
or, or geopolitical lines or different demographics. He's talking about groups, people groups, tribes, ethnic groups, that all peoples, not just representatives from countries, but he loves everybody. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In fact, you know what the Great Commission is? The Great Commission is at the end of the book of Matthew. It's the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know what matters to God? The heart of God is for the world. He loves the nations. He wants to see people come to know him. That's his heart. But the reality is, and we saw it at the beginning of this video today, there's a whole lot of people who don't know. As of 2012, they they estimate that there's about seven billion people in the world. About 11% of those people claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Another 38% live in places in the world where they've heard the gospel but have not yet accepted Christ as their Lord. So here's what that means, that at the present time, just over 50% of the world's population, or three and a half billion people, have not heard the gospel, and most of them do not have a realistic opportunity to hear the gospel. There's about 11,600 distinct people groups, tribes, ethnic groups, throughout the world. 6,700 of those people groups, or roughly 60%, Six out of every 10 people live in places that contain between zero and 2% evangelical Christians. Do you know what this means? Many of those people have no churches, no Bibles, no Christian literature, no mission agencies, no one who's seeking to share the gospel with them. Do you think God's okay with that? Do you think God's okay with that? (laughs) Should we be okay with that? Now that's why missions matters. It's the heart of God. That's why he's ascending God. What does he say in, Matthew, or in John chapter three, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his one and only son. And 2 Peter 3, 9 says that he did that because he does not want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. You've gotta understand this. God wants the people of the world to be saved. He wants the people of the world to be saved. It's very clear. It's all throughout scripture. So how does it happen? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what if they haven't heard that yet? Well, look at what he says in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God loves the world, so he sends his people. God loves the world, so he sends his people. Ron and I have three kids. What if I called them in the living room, said, you kids, sit down there right now on that couch. Just sit down. Don't touch each other. Just look at me. I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. I am your father. I made you, and you are going to love me. How do you think that's gonna go over? Let me highlight that I have three teenagers. It's not gonna go over so well. 
I can't make them love me. What if God just showed up in the heavens one day and said, I am your God and I made you and you are going to love me. What kind of love would that be? It's coerced, yeah. He knows that that's not really love at all. He says, there's gotta be a better way. You know how I'm gonna tell them how much I love them? I'm gonna send other people to tell them because they'll hear it from other people. When they see the difference I've made in other people's lives, then, then they'll see how much I love them and their love for me will be real. Do you know what his plan is? His plan is to have people find out about his grace and his hope and his love through you and through you and through you and through you. He's ascending God. He wants to do it through you. And until we grasp that, We'll never truly be that church of influence. Which takes us to the last thing. Look at verse three of Acts chapter 13. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Here's what the church of influence does. Number seven, the church of influence sends the call. Church of influence sends the call. Pastor Bill's already highlighted that at Calvary, we, we do that in three ways. One of the things that we do is we pray. And we pray that God will bless the missionaries, that God will provide for them, that God will lead them. I can tell you this firsthand. On, on June 1st, we're gonna have our, our Wednesday night Missions Connect. And on that night, we're gonna focus on, uh, on the trip that Pastor Bill and I took to, to Cuba. And I'll be able to tell you some stories that night about how probably on that trip, more, more than any other that I've been on, I could feel the prayers of other people as we were going. It makes all the difference. That's why we encourage you to pray for our missionary friends. We don't just pray, but we give. We give as well, and when we give, that provides the resource so that they can go and do what God has called them to do. We've already talked about that. The last thing that we do is we go. We pray, we give, we go. Sometimes we go on, on trips like we've, we've seen the video about. Sometimes we send those who are going But I wanna focus here for just a moment today because for some of you, before we wrap this thing up, I I really think God is whispering to some of your heart about the going. It's this unsettledness in your chest. It's a restlessness in your spirit. It's a passion in your soul. Some place where God may be calling you simply to volunteer in some way, to serve some way here in the church. Maybe he's challenging you to take a missions trip when we go sometime in the future. Maybe he's, he's leading you to prepare your heart in some way. You might not even know exactly what it is that God wants to do through your life. You just know that he's calling you to prepare. You just know that he's calling you and you know you can't ignore it. And for some of you, he may even be calling you to do something that's radical, that's outside your box. But you know that in this moment, as we've talked about God's heart for people, he's speaking to you about going. That's a response to the Great Commission. And I think as people who wanna be a part of a church of influence, we have to think about what do we do with that Great Commission? mission. Go into all the world. What do we do with that? It's a theologian named John Piper who has offered three options for the Great Commission. When you think about dealing with the Great Commission, he gives these three options that we have with the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples. Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. What do we do with that? Well, our first option, and number one, is you can go. When you see the Great Commission, One of the options is to say, I feel like God is calling me to go and I'm gonna respond in that way. 
Option number two is that you can send. And that's why we give, that's why we serve, that's why we pray, to help to send those that he has called. Option number one, you can go. Option number two, you can send. Here's option number three, you can be disobedient. But those are the only three options. Either you go, or you send, or you choose to disobey what is really so close to the very heart of God. Missionary in that video said that because this is our generation, we are responsible to reach those that have not been reached in our generation. Whether they're sitting in Toledo, Ohio, or whether they're sitting on the other side of the world, we have to do something about it. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm gonna say thanks for just your continued belief that missions matters as a church. And just before I, I wrap us up in prayer, I just wanna ask one simple question that for some of you, as we've talked about this today, you know very clearly that God is calling you to go. It may be as simple as there's somebody who needs you to take that opportunity and share your faith with them. God put that so clearly on your heart as we talk today. Or maybe that God is calling you to be willing to walk away from what you know outside your box to be in a place where you can be used by him. No matter what it is, if God's stirring in your heart and saying to you, I'm calling you to go, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you just as a step of obedience right where you are, would you just stand right where you are? That's all I'm gonna ask you to do, just stand. You know God's speaking to your heart. I'm calling you to go. There's something I want you to do. I don't know if it's today, I don't know if it's in the future, but you know you can't escape it. God's kinda speaking that into your heart. Say, look, it's in the community, it's in your neighborhood, it's in your workplace, it's on the other side of the world, wherever it is. God's speaking to you right now and he's saying, I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to go. Father, we recognize this today, and we don't want to miss your call. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to what you would have for us to do. We want to be people of influence in a church of influence that is influencing our community and our world and eternity through what you do in and through us. So, Father, I pray for those that are standing that you'd give them the courage and the wisdom and the strength to do what you're calling them, to go in the way that you're calling them to do and to go. God, that you would place your hand and your blessing and your strength and your resource and your, your ability behind them as they go. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us, that you'd send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.